Tonight, if you want to turn there to Matthew's Gospel again to the fifth chapter, and we find this fourth time that the Lord Jesus himself, speaking to this crowd gathered on the mountaintop there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, as they begin to focus in, he's going to say for the fourth time something that to us doesn't quite make as much sense as it would have made to them, but something again staggering because it is that same place that we very often find ourselves tripped up in our modern way of life because Christians very often believe what they believe not because God's word says so not because it's truth but because it's become tradition It's simply been spoken time and time and time again. And believers begin to pick it up. These little pseudo-Christian sayings. Like, God only helps those who help themselves. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah, we kind of get some things stuck in our heads. That actually aren't found in the Bible. And we find ourselves repeating them. And then furthermore, we begin to add to them. And during that day and time, as Jesus speaks forth this fourth time in verse 33 of Matthew 5, and again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, he's saying, look, the traditions of your fathers, the traditions of the rabbis, the traditions of religion, have said some things that we need to now draw attention to. He's already spoken into these issues that are so pervasive in our society. He's ministered this incredible truth that, in fact, to hate someone in their heart is to, is to really murder them. To lust after someone is to commit adultery because it's such a short leap from one to the other. He then speaks to this issue of divorce. He says, look... You can't have the world's position on these things. You can't trust the traditions of religion. Because I guarantee you tonight, there are lots of churches you can go to, and the pastor there will give you all manner of permission to depart from your spouse. And yet God says, I hate divorce. And so he goes on now, and he's going to speak to the heart of an issue that is so prevalent in our society, it's almost become normal. It's a way of life for many people. It is how so many function. And yet, those of us who are believers in Christ Jesus, for the Lord himself is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is truth. His word is truth. We are people of truth. And tonight, being people of truth. Father, would you bless us with your Holy Spirit tonight to just come and and minister to us. Lord, we've spent our morning with you and now we want to spend our evening with you. And Jesus, we ask just as you spoke to the disciples, as you spoke to this great multitude gathered on that mountainside, Lord, looking down to the sea and as you, Jesus, spoke these words, would we take them in? Would we glean from them? Would we learn what it really means to walk with you? And so God, we give you this time, please. Lord, if there's any wicked way in us, Lord, if if some tonight, one tonight, maybe many tonight are having trouble being people of truth, their life is racked with lies, and Lord, they're crippled by them. Would you set them free? Speak your truth to us by the power of your word. We ask these things in the amazing name of Jesus. Set us free, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. And again, you have heard that it is said of those who are old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. And so you can see here there's a combination of two things going on. There's the original command which is not to bear false witness. 
in essence, not to lie. And then there's a secondary command, which was added to that. It it was actually added in the book of Deuteronomy, where if you made an oath, you were to keep it. And so Jesus brings to our attention this issue of being people of truth. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. You see, he goes through these things, and he, he begins to kind of pick out the common fallacies of the day. He says, look, there's some of you here, in order to keep from swearing falsely and using God's name, you just simply swear about Jerusalem. If you read someone who's Orthodox today and they're writing in English, rather than use the name of God, they don't spell it out. You'll see it G hyphen D. You don't want to use it. Maybe, you know, somehow it gets misconstrued. And so the rabbis had taken up this practice of, well, we know we can't swear falsely by the name of the Lord, so I'll swear on my grandma's pecan pie. I'll swear on Jerusalem. You know, that's not the Lord. That's just a city. It's a holy city, so it's better than just a regular city. But I'll swear by Jerusalem. I'll swear, swear to the earth. And so they would begin to use other words rather than God's name to avoid the inevitable, which was they were hiding the fact that they were lying. And they figured the highest thing that they could use that wasn't actually to use the Lord's name in vain would be okay. Man, isn't that exactly how our world functions today? And people will look you right in the eyes and say, well, I didn't lie. That's like the catchphrase for politicians, amen? Well, I didn't lie. Remember President Clinton? I didn't have sex with that woman. He was actually not speaking the truth. He was lying by omission. He wasn't lying by commission. He actually believed that if he spoke those words... And so many do it today. Well, I'll just leave a little of the details out. And thereby it'll be okay. So I'm going to swear by Jerusalem, for it's a city of a great king. I mean, if it's a great city, it's got a great king, that ought to do it. I'll swear by that. Nor shall you swear by your head. You can, see, you can see almost the playground mentality of the rabbis at the time. They were doing the giant game of King's X. Their fingers are crossed behind their back. Well, I'm not lying. Because you cannot make one hair white or black. And so he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Is that simple enough for us tonight, family of God? Please underline that. Those words are the words of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see all this insane wrangling about what isn't a lie and what is a lie. He gets to the heart of the issue. Yes is supposed to equal yes, and no is supposed to equal no. And if you're using a kind of sort of maybe to say yes, that's a lie. And if you're using a, well, I kind of think not, that's also a lie. You're using words to deceive. And the sin that's being mentioned here, some people say, well, they were swearing. No, that isn't what's being said. The original language there is quite clear. They were actually not cursing. They weren't using vulgarity. It wasn't foul language. It was, I swear on my granddaddy's grave. I didn't take your bicycle. Can I say to you tonight that there are very few things that will destroy your witness quicker than than not being a person who tells the truth. There are very few things that will destroy your character in Christ to those around you like not telling the truth. Because the moment you get caught in it, 
your character is questioned. And the moment your character is questioned, your witness is blown. Because if people can't trust you to talk about your vacation photos, why would they trust you with the truth of eternity in Christ Jesus? If they can't trust you to talk about you know, what you did or did not do in your previous sports history when you were in high school some 30 years ago, then why would they trust you with the exposition of God's majestic word and the truth contained therein? And so Jesus is saying, look, we have to be people of the truth. We have to remember that that's what we have to offer people. When you offer someone the gospel, you're authoring that truth into their life. Amen? When you tell somebody the gospel message, the gospel is truth. It's not some fairy tale. It's not a negotiable piece of information. It isn't something that's up to you to change it and make it what you want them to hear. It literally is the truth of God. In other words, using deceptive speech is not to be found in the child of God. Can I twist you just a little bit? Because I run into this all the time. And when you've dealt with as many kids as I have, uh, I have heard some whoppers. But can I focus you in on just a little bit? There's a, there's a, there's a lot of different ways for you to not be truthful, amen? This is one of my favorites. I'm fine. I don't look fine, do I? You're not speaking the truth. Because your body language and your words send two different messages. You can look somebody in the eye and you can go, I love you. You can go, I love you. Which one's true? You see, we, just like the Pharisees, sometimes try and send a message which is not truthful. And we do it with body language. We do it with vocal inflection. We do it with intonation. We do it with volume. We even do it sometimes in the timing. We do it in the minutia, the details that we leave out that causes someone to believe something that is not true. We didn't directly tell them a lie. We simply left out the right pieces of information that would have caused them to actually see the situation the way it was. And can I also say to you that those who have trouble with the truth, it generally blends into almost every other sinful behavior that you engage in. Because if you're going to commit adultery, you're probably not going to tell the truth about it. If you're going to murder somebody, you're probably not going to tell the truth about it. If you're going to get a divorce, very often you don't tell the truth about what's actually going on. And very often that's actually the source of how you got there. And so truth is important to us as the children of God. Jesus taught us that our conversation is supposed to be honest. And so he simplifies it. He says, I don't want you to get messed up here. I don't want you to follow after the traditions of your fathers. I don't want you following the rabbis because they came up with all kinds of stuff to try and make it okay to, in essence, lie in a way that was religious. Can I tell you tonight that that's the worst way in the world to conduct yourself is to rely on falsehood to try and put forth some type of godliness. I've had people come to me, well, you know, I got pressured into this thing, and I did this, and I did that, and I I will ask them, well, who did this? Well, it was this guy I met at church. I've had people come to me, you know, there's this this person, and they're they're putting forth this business, and you find out they're doing it in the lobby. They're out in the foyer with their little pyramid scheme, and they'll actually say, well, Pastor Jeff knows about it the same deal. Not only does Pastor Jeff not know about it, Pastor Jeff would shoo that person out with the money changer's whip. (laughs) But because they use Pastor Jeff's name, they say, well, you know, Pastor Jeff approves of it, then it's got to be true. We're to be people of the truth. 
I'll give you a little secret. It comes from the wise King Solomon. He authored the 10th chapter of Proverbs. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Amen? Have you ever noticed how people who have a problem with the truth generally are fairly windy? I'm being polite. If you have children, you know exactly what I'm saying. There's this long oration about, no, Dad, we honestly did not paint the stripes on the dog. No, he didn't do that. No, we were not over there when that happened at that guy's house and the window got broken. We weren't actually there, but we know five guys that were, and we heard about it at school, and they go on with this huge story about, well, no, it wasn't us, but we know somebody who knew somebody, and they knew the guy that actually did it. You see, if you actually have the truth, you can just speak it forth. You don't need all the other stuff that's going on. I can also tell you this, that as as children, uh, we're born knowing how to not tell the truth, amen? (laughs) My diaper's wet. I need something, you know, it's just like everything. I mean, we are from the the grave, from the cradle to the grave. We're, We're pretty good at bending the truth. We have to work hard at speaking the truth plainly. The credibility gap in modern society is so wide. Myron F. Boyd said a wonderful one-liner. He said a half-truth is a dangerous thing, especially if you get a hold of the wrong half. (laughs) Amen? Isn't that true? Or as I like to say, a a half-truth is also a whole lie spelled differently. Bearing false witness was a key component of Satan's plan in the beginning, wasn't it? Turn over in in your Bibles to John chapter 8, verse 39. Pick up there. I want you to see this, because here we see the strategy of the enemy. And Jesus said to them in verse 39 of John chapter 8, For if you were Abraham's children, you would have done the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Abraham was a liar, amen? Well, it's not my wife. I mean, that's not my, that's what he said, wasn't it? Well, she's my sister. Speaking of his own wife. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we're not born out of fornication. We have one Father, and that's God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come from myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. And then he goes on and says, You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. And he was a murderer from the beginning And does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father or the originator, the progenitor of it. In other words, lying's what he does. Always. He's a deceiver. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Isn't that strange? How when you get caught up in that lifestyle of not speaking the truth... How it almost becomes impossible to speak it. You spent so much of your time twisting the tail that it's nearly impossible to unravel it. He who hears God hears God's words and therefore you do not hear because you're not of God. You see, Jesus is the truth. In fact, the very first chapter of John's gospel and the word became flesh there in verse 14 and dwelt among us we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten a father full of grace and truth truth the word full there in that passage in John chapter 1 the 14th verse means to its fullest extent 
We're so full of truth that there, that's all there is. You see, Satan is so full of lies, that's all there is. He speaks from his own resources. That's what Jesus said about him. So to be a person who has a tough time telling the truth, it's really speaking of some internal issues that are not indicative of someone who's actually saved. You know, we're going through this horrendous, you know, what are there, 714 Republican candidates right now? You know, and they're having debates. How do you have a debate with 11 people? You can't even do that. And, and have you noticed that no longer is anyone actually even answering the question? They're actually speaking back in statements and maybe posing another question. They're almost speaking rhetorically. It's because there's no truth in it. There's no truth to convey. They're trying to manipulate, trying to get you to think things about what's going on. They're not actually speaking to the issue They're actually saying something, hoping they can convince you that they believe something they don't believe. You probably have met people who will look you right and go, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Would you like to toke on this? Yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I got to get back to the house. My girlfriend's waiting for me. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I never drink more than six beers in an evening. You see, when we talk about being people of the truth, the whole story has to go together. Yes needs to be yes, and no needs to be no. We're supposed to send a unified, solidified, consistent message that speaks about the character of Christ in our lives. It's what Jesus did. It's who we're supposed to be. But as, as human beings, our nature in Adam, there is a propensity to not tell the truth. 58th Psalm reminds us that the wicked are estranged from the womb. In fact, they go astray as soon as they're born speaking lies. That's kind of a strong indictment against the human condition, isn't it? So very often as you're sitting down with people and they're in the midst of some difficulty in their life, especially with marital problems, one of the most difficult things to do as a pastor is to get both the husband and the wife to speak the truth to each other. They don't want to speak to the issue because speaking the truth sometimes is hard, amen? Speaking those words that need to be said in a way that's loving and kind Because remember, as we studied already in the book of Ephesians, they're in the fourth chapter. We're to speak the truth in love. Not just brutal, hard, cold facts, but truth with the character of Christ. It started a very, very, very long time ago. Back in Genesis chapter 3, you all know the story. And the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has the Lord indeed said, Thou shalt not eat of every tree of the garden? Is that really, you know, did he say that? And he gets Eve thinking just a little, Well, you know, maybe not. I'm not sure. You see, the proper answer would have been, I'm not supposed to eat of that tree and be done with it. But she goes into this long oration. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the fruits in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat or touch it lest you die. The woman was told by the serpent, You're not going to surely die. For God knows that the day that you eat of your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And you know the rest of the story. She takes, Adam takes, and the world's two first recorded lies and deception ensue. Well, you know, it really wasn't me, it was a serpent. Well, it wasn't me either, it was my wife. And worse than that, you gave her to me. It's not my fault. I mean, after all, I'm a guy. 
I'm just following what you said. I'm supposed to love my wife. And she said, eat it. That's called a lie. It's untruth. It wasn't Eve's fault. It was Adam's fault. It wasn't the serpent's fault. It was Eve's fault. They didn't want to take ownership. And very often we don't want to take ownership. And so we skirt the issue. We allow people to believe things that aren't true. We justify. We blame others. Those are all subtle forms of lying. When we won't take responsibility for our own actions, in essence, you're trying to get someone to believe a false narrative. Amen? It's exactly what Scripture says we're not supposed to do. Trying to get someone to believe a false narrative is a lie. You're leaving out some details wherein they would come to a different conclusion if they had those details. And that was exactly what was going on during the day and time that Jesus wrote these words. So he spoke them forth. The great Roman orator Cicero said, Truth is the highest thing a man can experience. Sadly, in our day and time, it's a fairly rare occurrence that we get pure truth out of almost anybody. The ancient Jewish rabbis took up these unbiblical traditions, and it was to that that the Lord was speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount. They scoffed, they were hypocritical, they demeaned. You see, when you know something's true, and maybe some of you have run into this, I've actually had people lie about the gospel message in order to get people to become Christians. And here's how they do it. Well, you don't actually have to quit doing crack. You know, yeah, I want you to come to Jesus, but, you know, can we just have sex right now? Hey, you, you know, it's, it really, I mean, the whole Jesus changing your life thing, I mean, it's all grace, man. Family of God, those are lies from the pit of hell. If you've been saved by grace through faith, you're going to be changed by the renewing of your mind. You're going to also ask for forgiveness for your sins and be cleansed from that unrighteousness. You see, that's a lie. That's someone saying, look, well, you know, I want you to have my brand of Christianity. Because I want to continue to do the things I'm doing. And so if you actually really come to know the real Jesus and you forsake sin, then you're not going to want to be with me anymore. Well, I'm going to have to give up my party lifestyle. I'm not going to be able to do the things I used to do. So they come up with a false salvation narrative as well. We need to be careful because we are to present the truth in love. You see, the Jews of Jesus' day revered the idea of truth in principle. They revered the idea of truth in principle. But in application, it was buried under a system of tradition. Well, we'll do truth our way. Brothers and sisters, truth is truth. Uh, And we need to be people of truth, real truth, concise truth. So there are a couple of words that are used here in the original language. The words to make vows and and the noun that kind of ties these things together, speaking of, of, of speaking or swearing. One is epicureo, and epicureo simply means to, to swear, actually to perjure oneself is what it really means. And the noun horkos, which means to build a fence around. In essence, what Jesus is saying is, look, you swear, you speak an untruth, and then you build a fence around it so it looks like it's true. And the picture is this. You've probably seen them. We have them all over our park systems here in California. They'll put a fence around something, and they'll put a monument in the middle of it, And it's supposed to look like something really great and grand, and you go out there, and this is the place where Joe's dog died in 1812. 
There's no big deal that happened there. It isn't something that's really noteworthy. But if you build a fence around it and you erect a monument to it, somehow it's supposed to be really important. That's what Jesus is saying. Sometimes the way we say things causes people to understand the facts very differently than they actually are. The truth isn't in them. You hide the details. You just wrap it with a nice little white picket fence and you call it truth. But you leave out some missing ingredients. During the Babylonian exile, when the Jews came back during the time of Nehemiah, it actually speaks to this in Nehemiah chapter 10, but, but on themselves they, they took a curse and an oath to, oath to walk in God's ways. And because they had done that, by the time you get to the day and time that Jesus is speaking these words to the disciples and to the multitude gathered, they had come up with all kinds of ways to get out of it. They didn't use certain words. As long as it wasn't patently false, as long as you didn't actually ever intend to fulfill the oath, then it really wasn't actually an oath. Why, not really lying, I just kind of didn't tell you all of it. People could declare almost anything, promise almost anything, and have no qualms about not doing it, because they never used the Lord's name. In other words, they invented, in essence, what we call in our day and time, the white lie. Well, it's, it's not really truth, but I mean, who's it going to hurt anyway? I don't want to tell my husband that. I don't want to tell my wife that. I, I, you know, I didn't actually lose my job. I'm just on permanent furlough. We're not actually not paying our bills. We're just slightly behind. You see, we can get caught up in it. A number of years ago, I had a couple come in, and they were having some financial problems. We sat down, as they usually do, and just kind of generally went through you know, the way things were and, and the basic things you always look at when you're doing budgets. You know, here's your income versus your expense. You kind of want to do that if you're looking to balance your budget, unlike our Congress. Well, we have these expenses and we don't need income. There are people who run their family that way. They don't usually stay afloat too terribly long, but they came in and they were sharing some details with me and I'll keep those details private. But the long and the short of it was... They had not filed federal income tax for nine years. And the reason that happened is because it started out, the husband lied to the wife, and then he got tired of doing it, and then he handed it off to the wife, and then the wife lied to the husband. Oh yeah, we've been filing our taxes. Yes, we filed them. And what they actually meant was, well, I sent in the paperwork to the IRS that said we didn't make any money last year. They put zero on the income line. And I said, you you didn't see that as lying? Well, you know, the government takes too much of our money anyway. And I said, be that as it may, you don't see that as lying? Well, you know, I mean, the IRS agent was mean to me. Well, you don't see that as lying? Well, you know everybody does it. You don't see that as lying. You get what I'm saying? We come up with all these excuses as to why the lie we're telling is actually okay. Can I tell you this? It's not okay, ever. God's not good with it. I can't tell you the number of people who end up with mortgages they shouldn't have had because they lied on the application. Because somebody told them that if they wrote the truth on there, they wouldn't get the house. Brothers and sisters, if you can't trust God to tell the truth, then you don't want the house. You don't want it. You need to tell the truth. If you need more money, you pray for more money. 
don't use untruth to try and get something that maybe God doesn't want you to have. Because he may well just let you have it. And then you get to live with the consequences. During that day and time, they, you know, they were swearing by Cal Worthington's dog Spot and everything else that you could possibly imagine. And keeping the oaths themselves became mandatory. So the way that they kept those oaths was by making the oath, in essence, well, I didn't ever intend to keep it, so I don't actually have to keep it. it had no integrity. They, they practiced, in essence, what, what Islam teaches with regard to infidels to this day. The practice of takayah, which is, in essence, religious lying. As long as it's to an infidel, it's okay. Don't tell them the truth. You see, the original command was, you shall not swear falsely by my name. If you make a vow, keep it. That was the command. And so they interpreted it to say, well, as long as I don't bring God's name into it, it's okay. As long as it's not these things, it's okay. A certain amount of lying is to be expected. Not from God's kids. They wanted to lie. They didn't want to be hampered by God's standard of truth. And so they just simply lowered the standard so they could keep it. And isn't that what mankind does to this day? We lower the standard on marriage. We lower the standard on divorce. We lower the standard on everything so we can keep it. And so Jesus is being very consistent in this sermon. He's saying, look, the standard's up here. Leave it up there. Absolute truth. Speak it in love. Do it in a way that is going to accomplish good for the kingdom. Remember that those words are eternal. You realize that your Bible says that on Judgment Day, when you stand before the Lord, you're going to give an account for every idly uttered word you've ever spoken. That should cause you to think about what you say. It should cause us to encourage our brothers and sisters to think about what they're saying. That we would be people of truth. Another thing, it just it troubles me so, and I, and I have to share this with you. It may well be this, not for anybody in this, in this congregation tonight. It may be for somebody that you know. Can I tell you, you can't separate, you cannot compartmentalize your life so that you tell the truth in church, but you don't tell the truth at work. You, you, you tell the, the truth when you're hanging around with your Christian friends, but when it's your non-Christian friends, you do what they do. You, you have to be consistent. We as children of God have to be consistent. It's no different than having language in church that's fitting the king of kings and then you know, speaking as though there, there's no filter over your heart, your mind, or your mouth. We need to be consistent in being people of truth. God is everywhere. He's in every activity. The words that we speak, he hears every last one of them. He doesn't miss them. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever experienced this, but I, I have watched people, in essence, try and dicker and bargain with God. And, and they, they, it usually starts out something like this. Here's the central truth. Here's the thing that they're trying to, to really see if they can somehow twist it and tweak it so that they can meet their own standard. And so what they do is they begin to manipulate. Well, you know, I didn't do that or I didn't do this. And very often it's with sinful behavior. Alcohol is certainly one of those things that I often see this in. Well, I didn't actually get drunk. And then we get into the definition, well, did you get a buzz? Well, I don't know whether I got a buzz or I kind of got a buzz, but it wasn't really, you know, I didn't really get a buzz buzz. It was another kind of thing that happened to me. And it's like you're, you're manipulating. The moment you have to manipulate your words, the lyometer ought to go off. That, that's a signal to you there's something messed up, okay? That, that you're actually trying to justify it in some little, even if it's a little tiny way. That's us going, well, I don't actually want to say what I'm thinking or, or let you know that I know what the standard is. I want you to think that I think the standard is something else. 
If you can't speak forth exactly what's on your heart and your mind, again in love, not being rude, obnoxious, and mean, but simply say, this is what I thought, and this is what I did, and own it, that's manipulating the truth. That's trying to get somebody to kind of come to your side. Every word the Lord hears, and... (laughs) It is so amazing to me how many people actually think that if they speak something in a certain way that somehow God will believe it. I can't even tell you how many times we've begun premarital counseling. And of course the first question is, is the pastor, do you both know the Lord Jesus? Because we don't want anybody being unequally yoked, Amen. So let's get to the central issue. Do you know the Lord Jesus? Oh, yeah. Sure I do. Okay, what does that mean to you? Well, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't fornicate, I don't cuss. Where did you read that? You know about God's grace? Well, yeah, I heard about that one time. Isn't that like a, it's a candy company, right? Yeah, you, you, and, and, and they're trying to get you to believe that they're actually a child of God because they want to marry this person, even though they don't have a clue what it means to be a Christian. They've never given their life to Jesus Christ. He's not their Savior. He's not their Lord. So they use religious words to try and convince me as a pastor that they're actually a Christian. That's not easy to do after 30 years in ministry. doesn't work out very well for most people. And I'll usually begin to ask them, what's your favorite Bible verse? Well, first hesitation's 2-4, I think. Can, can you, uh, I'll ask you, will you repeat that for me? Yeah, I think it says uh, something like, you'll go to hell if you drink. Pretty sure that's not what it says. We need to realize, family of God, that we can't manipulate the Lord. It doesn't do a bit of good. He mocks us in our, in our foolishness in that sense. It's like, oh, look, I know what you're thinking. I know why you think it. I actually knew it before I created the world. I knew that you'd be here, and he'd be here, and she'd be here. I knew what you were going to say. I knew what you were going to say. I even knew how you were going to respond to what he said. That's how we need to see things. So when we speak... If we're seeking to honor God, then we realize that the truth is the only thing we should be speaking. And so he ends this little mini-sermon with, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Do you know why he said that? Because it literally is that simple. It's that simple. He's saying, in the original language, it actually says, if yes is the answer, then yes is the answer. That's the implication there. And if no is the answer, then no is the answer. Not if the answer is yes, it's maybe, or kind of, sort of, I think so, but the answer is actually yes. And if it's no, it's not, well, you know, on Tuesdays, it's not actually no, because Tuesdays is a different day, and 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 that truth isn't good on Tuesdays. It's also not conditional. It's not yes if, it's yes period. It's not no if, it's no period. We we use a phrase in our our society that, that just drives me nuts. Well, it's a gray area. Can I tell you that with God there are very few gray areas in that sense? When you're talking about facts, when you're talking about truth, there's no gray area. It either is or it isn't. It's not, well, it's kind of, sort of. No, because you guys have been living together now for five years. It's no longer fornication. Well, well, because it's low-grade pot you got from the dispensary, you're not actually stoned. 
Well, you know, you, you kept it to just 19 miles an hour over the speed limit, so it's technically not speeding. You, you see what I'm getting at? We try and press the issue by saying, well, if I do this, then I'm kind of, you know, I'm not actually not telling the truth. Yeah, no, that's exactly what Jesus is warning us about. Yes is supposed to be exactly yes, and no is supposed to be exactly no. Very simple. God is holy. His kingdom is a holy kingdom. We are his people. We're to be a holy people. And holy people live their lives like the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. So the Lord shatters that fragile glass of our society in which lying is the norm. One of the things that drives me absolutely insane in these presidential races. You're sitting there and you're watching them. You know that they're twisting the words, trying to get people to believe something. You know, you'll, ask, you'll hear the straight question, are you against abortion? Well, I believe in a woman's right to choose. Now the question was, are you for abortion? You see, you're actually asking a question that would clearly identify whether that person believes it's okay to take an innocent life because it's in a mother's womb. That's the actual question that's being asked. And they're answering it, well, I don't actually want to tell you what I think because you might not vote for me. That's exactly what Jesus is getting at. And of course, that's the world, and the world does what the world always does. But we as Christians need to have definitive answers. When God has spoken, we speak what he's spoken. We have his point of view. We don't hem-haw. We don't, we don't beat around the bush. Somebody asks a, a Christian, are you for Israel? Well, you know, I kind of sort of think that every once in a while, you know, yeah, maybe. They're his people, and to be for them is to be for God, and to be against them is to be against God. I'm for Israel. That's the truth. Not when you're talking to somebody that, you know, maybe you think has some other opinion, you change yours to meet theirs. It's not being a person of truth. In essence, Jesus is saying, look, this is the message that we heard from him, just as he said in 1 John. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. Amen? None. Zero. Zip. We have fellowship. We walk in darkness. We lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. We have it with one another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. You see, we're people of truth. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Colossae, said, let your speech always be seasoned with grace. Seasoned with, with salt, as it were, truth. That salt is that same picture. Salt and light go together. Amen? You, you see, when we live our lives that way, then we don't have to look back and wonder whether, well, you know, I'm not sure what I said that time. Speak the truth, you can forget it. Amen? Because it's always going to be the truth. Tell a lie, you've got to remember it forever. Forever. Well, I'm not sure quite what I told that person because it isn't what it actually was. Brothers and sisters, let's covenant to be people of truth. All the time, every subject matter, every component of our life, every relationship, especially with each other, what Jesus wants from us. And the more we live that way, the more we don't have to answer for the very things that the world accuses us of. How many times have you heard, well, you know, I don't want to be a Christian because they're all hypocrites. The original Greek word for hypocrite meant to be inaccurate, actually meant to be literally two-faced or multi-faced. And during that period of time when you were an actor on a Greek stage, you might wear a multi-part mask. There literally would be multiple faces, very often two, but sometimes anywhere between two and four. One for each side of your head. And so if you were one person, you would just simply flip that mask around, and now you could play that part. 
And if you were another person, you could flip the mask around and you, you could be the other part. You could play multiple parts having four faces on the same person. To be a hypocrite is also to be a liar. Because you say one thing and you do another. That's not being a person of truth. And so as God's kids, we only have the one face. We have the face of Jesus. We have that face that says, look, this is who I am in Christ. This is all I am in Christ. This is what I want to be. I want to be Christ to you. And it simply would just encourage you. If you're one of those people that has a tough time with the truth, it will revolutionize your life if you'll honor the Lord with being a person of truth. It will set you free. It'll remove bondage from your life. It'll bring you out of darkness. It'll allow light to pour in. And so encourage each other to speak the truth. In your marriages, speak the truth. To your children, in Jesus' name, please speak the truth to your kids. Because the Lord said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Lord, for the power of your truth. And pray, God, that as we spend some time now just waiting on you, worshiping you, some prayer warriors come forward and make themselves available. We just ask, God, that how you'd help us. Lord, we need help being people of truth. We're so grateful for your great love for us and how uh, even in the times when we've not spoken those things that we should. Lord, that your grace is sufficient. Lord, you're ready and you're willing. You're able to not just simply save, but you're able to cleanse and reshape and reform and renew. Pray that you'd work in us to accomplish your amazing pleasure. Pray, God, as we offer up our our lives to you, that you'd help us in our areas of weakness. Lord, in our marriages. Would you help us to be always truthful and ever faithful? Lord, as parents, would we be able to look back into our children's eyes and know that we have never spoken one false thing to them? God, as your church, would we offer the real gospel, the real truth, that Jesus is the only way and the only truth, and he offers the only life, and there is no other way. There's no other way to get to heaven. Religion can't do it. God, we pray that you'd make us people of the truth. We thank you, Lord, for your love and for your care and your concern. Pray that you'd bless us and fill us, Lord. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus, the name above every name, the one who is the truth that we seek to emulate. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen.